Black alert, if you're a fan of Disco Nights and Star Trek Discovery, don't miss Disco Nights Live this March at WonderCon with host Chase Masterson and special guests recording a live episode of the Ultimate Discovery Podcast. If you're a Discovery fan, you don't want to miss this live event at WonderCon with Chase and her special guest, Disco Nights Live at WonderCon. Bring your disco shoes. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of Inglorious Trexperts, I hope you'll come see me at Emerald City Comic Con on Thursday, March 14th, as I discuss 50 years of Star Trek with some incredible stories, rare photography, and more. Join me as I boldly go. That's a bad pun. Tickets are available through the ECC website and at Read Pop. Masterson, and welcome back to Disco Nights, the show where we explore the lights and darks, the days and nights of Star Trek Discovery. It's great to have you back with us, and as always, it's great to have our guests back. Thank you so much for joining us. Lisa Clink, Jeff Bond, and Alexandra August. How are you? Thank well. you great. for Thank having good. us. Good. So you will remember Lisa from previous episodes of Disco Nights. She is she was a writer for three seasons on Voyager and brings a lot of expertise in terms of our, our writing comments. She is also a novelist with works such as All In, All Gone, and False Idols on SerialBox.com. Welcome, Lisa. Hey, Jace. Hey, hey. Jeff Bond, glad to have you back with us. Jeff is the author of uh, books uh, such as The World of Orville and a book on Narcos. He is also editor-in-chief of Geek Magazine. Jeff Bond. Thanks for having me. And coffee drinker-in-chief. You're so calm. (laughs) I'm glad one of us is. And Alexandra August, she is a host of Got Thrones and the Trek, the Disco Trek. She also writes for Screen Rant. Welcome back, Alexandra. Hi, it's good to be back. Hey, hey. So here we are to discuss Sounds of Thunder, an episode which uh, which harkens back to the brightest star, where we discover and really dive into the dynamics, the predator and um, Predator and victim relationships between the Kelpians on Kaminar and the Ba'ul, their arch enemies. And this episode, I found very interesting that it was bookended by more of the Red Angel, who we have yet to discover. But we did discover plenty about the Kelpians. And I thought some wonderful work was turned in by Doug Jones. Chime in, guys. What did you think, Lisa? I thought it was terrific to see Saru was a badass. Right? You know, that he'd, you know, just seem grabbing those drones and smashing them. And I, I was, I found that very satisfying. Go Saru, yeah. as you said earlier. <laughs> yeah, so happy to see that. I love the dynamic where Saru has gotten rid of his fear um, in a, an episode recently. And, um, you know, for an, a, a, I was going to say an animal, for an alien, <laughs> a, a person. Oh my God. Who was... Who was so afraid, but he is so much like a, a hunted animal. And, and now he's free of that. Well, Tell he me- kept talking about how he had just recently gotten rid of his fear, but the fact that he left the planet and joined Starfleet in the first place, that is not a fearful thing to do. I mean, that was already brave. Mm, and so point. even though he got rid of the, the ganglia and, you know, went through an evolution, he was already, I think, acting pretty bravely. I am... I really one of the reasons I have historically not been the biggest Saru fan. I don't I don't dislike him, but in terms of like favorite characters, there are others that I've been more interested in. Um, but 
one of the reasons for that was the fact that he just gives me anxiety vibes because he's just constantly really, really afraid all the time. Mm. And what I loved about this episode, because I carry a lot of anxiety, was just seeing someone sort of be released from it and seeing the growth potential that you can, seeing the growth you can do as a human when you're not bogged down, you're not bogged down by this constant running, like looking everywhere, wondering what's going to happen, brain going a million miles a minute. And I thought it was just a really neat parallel, like to... To relate to relate Saru's journey to sort of somebody freeing themselves from like a mental illness of anxiety really resonated with me. I don't know if that's what was intentional, but that's what I got from it. Absolutely, it's it's so relevant. You know, anxiety is such an incredibly prominent pre- prevalent thing in our society, and uh, if we can admit in all of us, right? <laughs> Raise your hand if you don't have anxiety. Oh, shush, Bill Ritter. Bill Ritter. <laughs> I see your anxiety waiting for us each morning. Uh, Jeff Bond, chime in. Um, with no anxiety, I, I, know, I so. thought this episode was pretty thrilling. Um, I have one major issue with it, which I'll probably get into a little bit later. But I, I mean, this really got into a lot of kind of the best of, of Star Trek and some of my favorite things about Star Trek. Um, and particularly, it addressed, you know, I was not crazy about the, the uh, Saru short trek. Um, for one thing, I don't think I quite got what was going on uh, between the, the, the Kelpians and the, the Barul from that. Um, and it, on, on the other hand, it seemed just kind of very simple, like a typical, you know, presentation of a repressed, you know, uh, a society repressed by religion. And I didn't get much out of it other than that. Um, and I was kind of bugged by the whole idea of what appeared to be happening, which was that uh, Giorgio like drops down right from the sh- her ship, uh, uh, what the Shenzhou, uh, uh, and picks up <laughs> Saru and makes Kelpian. him an officer. <laughs> uh, that, that's not what what one of the little things I liked about that. This episode, as they clarify that that's not exactly what happened, that she was a lieutenant on another ship. Uh, so that kind of um, makes the Star Trek world a little bigger, whereas the idea of her just grabbing him and going up to the Shenzhou and taking off with him makes Alien the Star Trek world <laughs> right. Right. smaller. Um, but I loved what they wound up doing with the whole concept of the the, the Kelpians as as – uh, you know, being under the boots of this predator species and flipping that and having them b- having been the, the, the predators and and are mm. basically being subjugated out of fear from this other race. I, I, I was actually stunned that they took it in that direction. I thought they were going to make the Ba'ul and the Kelpians the same species. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. That yeah. yeah. would also be it's very still, Star Trek. Yeah, the, and the, I was like all ready to talk about it on a podcast too. I was like, this is so they started just all the time. They, they, yeah, they, they, they deal with a lot of classic uh, Star Trek ideas, but I, I think in, in pr- kind of unexpected and, and original ways. And, and another thing that I loved about this, uh, to me, like the uh, my favorite Star Trek episodes are about characters behavior uh, you and you are used to seeing a character behave a certain way you know their character and then they start behaving differently and the, uh, I love the the idea and I love the way they're carrying these these concepts forward of you know having uh, Saru uh, 
go through this change where he's not dealing with fear anymore. And just having that little moment where uh, Pike comes up to get in the captain's chair and Saru yeah. doesn't immediately get up and get out of the way. Yeah. Isn't that great? I mean, that's a wonderful, that's a classic Star Trek moment where it's, it's no, there's no dialogue. It's purely about behavior. So well played. Uh, and I... I and then, you know, going all the way to the point where <laughs> these growths in in, uh, in the, the Kelpians' heads turn out to be weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's some really cool concepts. The, 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 the depiction of the, the Barul alien is, 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 I, I thought was very that original, was, although it sort of reminded me of Skin of Evil. Uh, that's, you know, I, the, I have the a friend of mine tweeted creature. me about that. He, he was like, do you think that could be the creature that killed Tasha Yar? And I was like, <laughs> I feel like that's a long I, shot, I really but it looks to, a lot whoa, like it. I want to know who a... did the voice of that character, too, because it almost sounded like, a, I'm sure it wasn't a familiar actor, but I, I was a very effective vocal uh, it reminded me of the aliens in Independence Day, um, the first one when Brent Spiner is there in Area oh, 51, yeah. and Brent Spiner plays yeah. scientist, and they, um, one of the when they're operating on the aliens, it grabs him and uses like speaks through his voice mm-hmm. um, somehow, and I don't know when I was listening to the Batul, it was just like through my head, I just kept hearing no peace, <laughs> oh, like <laughs> right. Independence it's funny, I kept Day. thinking about the grudge. It's like the girl with like the hair yeah, all over yeah, her face that, coming yep. up out of the well. I mean, yep. that's, that's what I kept thinking oh, of. I will say like yeah. this episode in particular and that effect in particular the really ring. made yeah, me angry ring. at my small, piddly, like 37-inch TV and really, really want, just made me again frustrated that I have to, that this show would look so much better on a giant projector screen. Yeah, that's and that what, I don't I mean, have the capability I'm, to do that. I've got the production like a, design was absolutely gorgeous, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Really I think beautiful. I had like a 65-inch TV, and it, it, it yeah, the, the this in particular I th- is very well shot and directed, and the visual effects, the visual effects have been consistently fantastic this yeah. season. The yeah, last year, yeah. the, I think... Saru's quarters the, the, alone. The first... Right? They had the I want to live in Saru's yeah. quarters. I want to live somewhere on that ship because they all have these enormous quarters. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah, they put the money... On the screen, definitely, it's gorgeous. That's what I love about Starfleet. I feel you know, it doesn't feel like particularly utilitarian. I always, could, yeah. I always joked, I'm like, I could do Starfleet as a military career because they have comfy quarters. Things are pretty chill. The ship, you're a scientist, and you run around a lot. It's they nearly die twice an Although episode, now, but it, Saru well, sure. is the Literally. first officer, so I think right. we see With that. With a crib like you know, that, Burnham and, you know. and Tilly have to bunk together. Really? They're, they're not. Still a it's really not quite nice, as luxurious. Like, but, ceilings. But, yeah. Like, yeah, looks really comfy. The, yeah, it, does, it doesn't look like an actual military battleship in which you're bunking with like four yeah. other people. Exactly. Yeah. Right. The, but the hospital, you all share a room, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean the the sick bay. Yeah. sick bay, the medical quarters, sick bay, obviously. So let's talk a bit about the brother and sister dynamics that are inherent in this episode. Um, you know. Earlier in the season, um, Michael says to Saru when he's almost dying that he is her family. And there is quite a bond between them, obviously quite a bond between Michael and many of the of the characters. Um, but that was before he lost his threat ganglia. And then, you know, she uh, she's actually on his side for going down to Kaminar. You know, she she's there with him, but she um, she's in support of his wish to go down there. Um and the whole brother and sister thing that uh, that we encounter with Saru and his sister is is uh, then mirrored back by 
Spock and Michael, and he has finally reunited with his sister. When will Michael reunite with Spock? Also, you have that initial animosity between him and his sister. I mean, she is rightly angry that he just disappeared without a word and did not let them know that he was okay. Yeah, yeah. I and remember even when, when he... that happened in this short trek, and I was like, that's harsh. That's pretty harsh. <laughs> yeah. So they start off in conflict. Yeah. And resolve that conflict, you know, by the end of the episode. And I guess that's hopefully mirroring what's going to happen with, with Michael and Spock, that they're at, at odds now or have been in the past, but might be able to move past that. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's we're hoping. I mean, we're hoping. At, at some point they've got to. But first, we got to find out what's happening with Spock, which is, I think, going to happen pretty soon. Alexander, I, you were saying, I'm so glad that we haven't seen Spock yet. Like they have, <laughs> this was so. Like I was, I have said before, I was not excited to have Spock on this season. Like I just did not want them to go back to the original series. Well, this deeply, this soon, but. And I've just been pouting about it. But as like, <laughs> after six episodes, I'm ready for it. I'm curious. They've whet my appetite. I'm still not thrilled with the choice, but the season has performed really well for me. And so I, I've, they've built up a lot of trust and I'm not over. And, I'm, and they've built up trust and curiosity, which makes me excited. To, I'm really invested in the mystery of the Red Angel. I'm interested that we know it now it's a humanoid and a mechanical suit. So it is a person that is intentionally doing this. What you know, what race that person is, um, what time they're from is in question. But that's interesting to me, and I'm really curious to see how it turns out with Spock. And I'm, I'm excited to see him say that funny line we've seen in all the trailers, which is say goodbye, Spock, and he says goodbye, Spock. Oh, <laughs> cute. <laughs> I, yeah, I think they've done a good job of. Uh, you know, linking her relationship with Spock and and her relationship with Saru and how uh, that the evolution of her relationship with Saru is making causing her to make decisions about what how she's going to deal with Spock or how she wants yeah. to deal with Spock. Um, I think um, you know the one issue that I have with the episode, which is kind of related to uh, the stuff between Saru and his sister is uh, how they deal with the prime directive (laughs) in this episode. (laughs) What prime directive? That's the one thing (laughs) where I was literally kind of stunned when he just beams down with uh, Burnham. (laughs) She's standing there with her communicator and, hi, we're from an advanced (laughs) technological race and here's how things work. (laughs) uh, uh, I mean, there's some lip service to, uh, I think Pike brings up the fine direction at at some point. And I do love, you know, in in kind of going back to the idea about uh, Saru's behavior, uh, that scene with the you know the captain's chair obviously leads up to this huge con- verbal confrontation between Saru and Pike, which I, I think is another classic Star Trek trope of of having characters you know in these very philosophical but heated conflicts with each other on the bridge and you know mm. arguing about what they're going to do. But I do wish that. This episode is so complicated if you think about what's going on. It's incredibly ambitious. There's a uh, lot. And, and so this, it, the prime directive is, is sort of always at the edges of it. But the fact that they're, they're making this gigantic decision, which any Star Trek 
watcher would know <laughs> it involves the prime directive in a huge way and it's never really addressed head on they like so sweep it under the rug they're like oh, yeah. yeah the, the yeah. bubbles are warp capable they're the same place it's but fine. it's personal there was a good it's, piece it's... on on io9 about this um you know talking about that we obviously the prime directive is violated <laughs> routinely <laughs> in in star trek but it's Normally, the, the you know is particularly on the original series that that was done at, to make a point that that you know they were saying here's why we're going to d- violate the prime directive because this is an un- unnatural situation and I think they could have gotten into that because the, you know the Barul are a technical technological race you could certainly make the argument it's like. Uh, a private little war where the Klingons are, are are interfering with this primitive race by giving them weapons, um, but it's it's different because the, we we can assume that the, these are two have been part of this natural evolution of this you know planet and society for God knows how how many years. So I just wish they would have gotten into some kind of discussion about that because. Uh, it's 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 it it just like I said it just was actually shocking to me to watch them just beam down to the planet and announce yeah, themselves the way that they do. Sister, I mean, it's and his family yeah. and and if someone were to say to me. But the prime directive, you can't go save your sister. I'd be like, get the fuck out of my way. I mean, I'm going <laughs> to save my sister. Like... It's not even an issue. But why but... not have him just go down alone? Yeah, why not uh, have him have like, resign be... from Starfleet I, I, if he has to? I was wondering, she's in the outfit. But he may need to come. It's like, why I, even have her bother to dress up, you know, in the in, in like the Kelpian clothing when she's clearly not, you know. And, and there was, you know, I was like, are, are they going to explain Kelpian. her? That, oh, you I know, see. Yeah. She, her head got stuck in a mechanical rice picker <laughs> so that's why she looks like this uh, the, I, it just it, it's just like such a gaping there is quite a wardrobe in, 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 device in that beaming down mechanism isn't yeah, there? yeah. I, um, I think the frustration I've had with the Prime Directive as I've seen it on Discovery is that when you see it on other Star Trek it's not like they're dealing with the Prime Directive every single episode it comes up here and there and it's kind of a living document you see how it can be subjective at certain times which is sure. you know, makes it very interesting um, but I feel like Discovery just likes to play with it too much. This is just a couple of episodes now that we've had them dealing directly with the Prime Directive and being like, eh, it's fine. Um, like with Pike, yeah. like show it, Pike deciding initially not to, um, on New Eden, not to share anything with them and then like legitimately beaming out in uniform in front of someone because he changes his mind. Cool, that's fun. It's kind of interesting. I get where it's shady. I get where it's gray because they're humans and blah, blah, blah. But... I don't know. I like the Prime Directive as something that was really hallowed in the Federation and on Star Trek. And I feel like these guys are just I feel like Discovery is just playing a little too fast and loose with it. And especially in this case, it's like they're going to start a war. You know, I mean, the the Kelpians are going to rebel. And Michael has this weird line about, oh, they're not going to be in any position to do any serious harm for generations now. So they're just going to have like a useless war for a while and then they'll get to a serious war later on. I mean, that doesn't seem like much justification to me. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess you, the only thing I could consider would say, like, okay, well, we can act, we should maybe actively stop the butt wolf from committing this weird, like, half genocide. But I think you're right. I think that's like what you just said is sort of the reason the Prime Directive exists in the first place because you put, like, you invest yourself, a, you're in for a penny, you're kind of in for a pound. Yeah. And if you're going to help 
if you're going to help the Kelpians, then in some capacity, you will not be helping the Bat'ul. They're not just going to make friends after this. And I feel, I think you're right. I don't think that was particularly well addressed for a show that it can be as philosophically dense as this one tries to be. There's another kind of weird issue um, that I'm not sure is intentional, but there is a, 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 an intentional depiction of one of the preservers obelisks in an earlier episode, first season episode. Um, and the idea of the preservers is kind of all about the prime directive in a way, although they never really discussed that. But the preservers went around basically saving, <laughs> civil, you know, civilizations and, and you know, preserving uh, races. And the the Barul obelisk is actually like an upside down uh, preservers obelisk. The shape of it is exactly the same as the preservers obelisk, and it's it, I, I it's a simple shape, and I could almost see it as like an accident. Um, <laughs> they reused but it's, the problem. But given that mm. it would, I would certainly see it as an accident if they hadn't already referenced the preserver obelisk in an earlier episode. <laughs> Uh, I have no idea. And, Good I, and point. I think, you know, the Red Angel, there's already been, and this bugs me, uh, and I'll be kind of annoyed if it's true, although I'll be fascinated with how they explain it. But there's, you know, I've seen already theories that the, the Red Angel is Spock, you know, tra- time traveling, uh, which I don't know how they could really do that, at, 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 like oh, who no. would play him uh, and and how would that be shown and how they would explain it. I do love I, – I'm relieved to see that they're, they are showing that it's a, a technological – uh, being and not, you know, that it's not going to be a, you, a, a religious Well, I think something that was artifact. interesting about that to me was that it's a being in a mechanical suit. Well, now I'm ready for the reveal. Now yeah. I feel yeah. like there's going to be a connective yeah. point where somebody have, whips off, have to. shoot, somebody whips off a helmet and, you know, <laughs> ah, it's, yeah. it's but the that's Green the Ranger. Thing. It it has has to to be I want to know, but, like, who do you think that's going to be since they've mentioned it, time it has, travel? It, Obviously, yeah. there's going to be some time travel. It has travel, to be someone so. we know because otherwise... I really hope not. That will just... That will shrink the universe even further. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're already running into people that we know, like every episode, mm-hmm. you know, oh, look, it's Section 31. Oh, it right. just so happens to be Tyler and Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. There are right. no other employees of Section 31. And so if the Red Angel that we've been chasing all over the universe and apparently has been in existence since at least Spock was little, and it yeah. happens to be somebody that we know, I swear I'm going to turn off the television. <laughs> well... It's I a swear, world after all. <laughs> it shouldn't be. It's a universe, damn it. We're supposed to go out and boldly explore and meet new life and new civilizations, not people that we already know. Mm. I think it's a really good point because I honestly I think it is going to be somebody that we know. I don't I understand think you're like right, why. Yeah, that. I'm sorry. I know. I'm my heart's breaking for you because that's just going to be <laughs> well. And again, it's another thing where it's like it's our. I might have had a better reaction to it if I wasn't already reading about it. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and I think that I've really enjoyed this season so far, as I, I think I've said before, because it hasn't been ruined for me. And I haven't the slightest idea what's going to happen from episode to episode. The mystery is really compelling in a way yeah. that it was not last year. And, and even the Spock yeah. Uh, the sp- Spock tease. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 it's I see it's driving people crazy, and a lot a lot of people online, uh, you know, are, are kind of fed up with it. But uh, even and it was the last episode where, uh, or the previous one where uh, they're chasing the shuttlecraft, and it turns out that Giorgio's in it. That actually 
surprised me because I they the way they'd set up the chase, I was fully expecting, oh, here's where we're yeah, finally going to see Spock. Spock. Yeah. And I, it literally fooled me. And I find so much of this stuff predictable that any time and, – and it's happened actually a lot uh, this season. Whenever something like completely surprises me, I'm, I'm very impressed. So – it's it's working in that regard. It is. It is. There there's such a, an important dynamic about when and how and where he's you know when and how he reappears and where he's been. Um, obviously, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, he seems far from an angel at this point, um, mm-hmm. having been accused of murdering people and, you know, s- still Burnham's drive to reunite with her brother is extremely strong. And again, that's so so well reflected in this episode, seeing the issues of family and, um, you know, obviously Serana, uh, who was beautifully played by uh, Hannah Spear, um, Serana and and uh, Saru's relationship is is not only repaired, but he asks her to come with him, yeah. which I would have if I were her. My God. I mean, it might, you know, plus well, I'm half Italian. She's now like if I spiritual... asked my family to come with me to outer space, be like, yeah, my brother-in-law. And hey, wait, my cousin. I like, over dreamed here. of somebody beaming down into my living room when I was a kid and like being like, <laughs> we actually live on the Enterprise. And I'd be like, amazing. I'm going to pack. Let me pack. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's a classic wish fulfillment uh idea particularly for star trek and it, it, you know they play with it that in in uh who watches the watchers and and uh, first contact and the, the, it's a very similar scene of uh saru's sister looking out the window at her planet which is the same things with, with alfrey woodard and first contact and the the woman in uh who watches the watchers mm-hmm. yeah it's basically the same the scene and it always works because it's it's just a uh intrinsically uh, effective idea. But now she's going to be like the spiritual leader of her planet. You know, she's going to lead the revolution and and tell everybody that this has all been a lie and the great balance is not true. And I mean, that's that's a pretty big deal to walk away from. That's true. Yeah. That's a really good point. She's definitely going to be a big fish I am. back on Kaminar. Oh, I was also, I wanted to ask, I wanted to mention the design of the Batwool ships because I thought it was really different, and I mentioned that because they. I was very surprised to learn that they were in the sea. Twist, um, <laughs> but I remember looking at them and remembering, like my my main like appetite for Star Trek happened with Next Gen TNG or Next Gen DS9 and Voyager. So I'm used to those like Manta like designs for ships that are really sleek and smooth, and I really like the design of the Batul ships. It reminded me of the original series design where it's really angular sometimes it's vertical things are like not, yeah, not overly like the, concerned the with aerodynamics ships yeah exactly yeah that uh, i mean again just going back to the the visual effects uh, i was watching the scene of the ship emerging from the sea I, you know i was watching that and thinking about how uh <laughs> difficult it was to do that effect for the abyss it's very similar yeah. to this you know it's the ship similar. rising out of the ocean and now mm. you can do that for television and, and in some ways make it look mo- more TV. convincing. There was a <laughs> shot when they were inside uh, that chamber, when Saru and his sister were inside uh, that chamber. Uh, sort of there, The whole sequence of the Enterprise starting to fire uh, and this, this kind of battle that was going on, I thought was very, very imaginatively realized and be- beautifully realized just in terms of, of filmmaking, showing the Enterprise like very small in the, in the frame with this huge 
you know, a horizon of the planet. I really liked the cinematography this week, whereas in previous weeks they've gone like a little too far with the tilted lens and yeah, like, it's a yeah, little yeah. a little too a little too indulgent. But this I thought this episode I just from the minute they we open on that we like the greenery in Sue's apartment and that beautiful, you know, alien butterfly, butterfly bug yeah. insect. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, camera pans out. It just I thought that they yeah, I thought it was beautifully sh- I don't know enough about cinematography to be like specific, but Yeah, but I like yeah. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I, that's I like, positive yeah. vibes. There's yeah. a when when they're in this chamber, they're in this chamber the, where it's kind of red lighting, and then you see the uh, the beach, the horizon behind them, and uh, I, I forget at what point is I think it's right after the the ship rose out and this kind of battle started, but in the there was just like this kind of red explosion in the background on the beach, and I actually like it. I, had a visceral react. It's like a small thing in the frame, but it was so realistically rendered and timed. I felt like, oh, I just seen a re- you know a real explosion in, in real life. It, but it, it, yeah, it just goes back to how cinematic uh, this show yeah. has 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 been. I, I've really been impressed this season. Like I said, la- last season it seemed like. They shot their wad in their first two episodes and effects, and then you would almost never even see the exterior of the ship. And when yeah. you did, it looked very cartoony, mm-hmm. um, you know, very obviously like a CGI rendered. Now, the, just the texture and lighting uh, and composition of everything has truly been, you know, at movie level. Yeah. Uh, but, and it's at really the same time, they're using a lot of the tricks that you've seen in the J.J. Abrams films that, that some, you know, a lot of people have sort of complained about, but I think that they've integrated it more into, like, a, a, a narrative that works and that, that these techniques are not just being used for showy effects, um, uh, but they're integrated into how the story is being yeah. told, I think, in a much more effective way. Yeah, absolutely. And again, especially in a story like this in which um, Serana is kind of becoming aware of this big broad universe, then we, the audience, kind of it helps that we see it the way she sees it to a to an mm-hmm. extent that wow, this is yeah. amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I want to get back before we close to the uh, the issues of fear and Saru. Um, I've heard Doug say that he has been told by many fans that his losing the threat ganglia was. Or first of all, is having the threat ganglia. A lot of people could really relate to his anxiety, as we touched on before. But his losing it really opens up a lot of people's eyes to what if I were suddenly without fear in my own life? Mm-hmm. How would I live? What would I do? The choices that I'd make? And how would I just even feel? Um, I, certainly, we see Saru um, letting go of his fear in, in, uh, in honor of his loyalty to his sister and to his home planet. Um, even going back, you know, when when uh, that and that wonderful moment when Pike says he is our people and mm-hmm. he forsakes his new family to go back to his old family. And he does that um, presumably without much fear. I mean, you can still see the, the layers, the textures in in Doug's Saru's eyes. But well, there's a difference between feeling fear and letting it stop you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, bravery is being afraid and doing it anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not not being afraid in the first place. Yes, exactly. It's you don't have to be fearless. You just have to have something else that's more important, a value that's bigger than your fear. Um, I think yeah. If you are, that reminds me of the um, this, 
episode of Voyager called The Clown. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, did you write that? Or I did not. Oh, okay. I just got really she didn't write them all. Come on. <laughs> I'm always going to ask. Um, I loved that episode because it was, um, I loved Janeway kind of coming in. I, for, I don't know, for, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's um, basically there is this, alien who these aliens who preserved themselves um, because their planet was going through some kind of apocalyptic event and so they preserved themselves in this sort of like holographic suite where they could live for however long um, and the holographic suite would respond to their minds and you know create whatever they wanted and they realized that after a certain time they started being afraid afraid that nobody would find them afraid that nobody would wake them up this is all like happening while they're in stasis and in their brains like and in their projection a production of their minds and so these fears manifest into this clown played by Michael McKeon, who just tortures these people night and day until Voyager gets there and figures out what's going on. And I forget who the character is that I think it's maybe Ensign Kim who I winds think up, you're right. Yeah, who winds up going in there and the clown kind of gets the better of him, but he figures out what's going on and he manages to get out. And then they send Janeway in mm. for the last second and she just kind of walks up and the clown's kind of ready to get, he's really excited to get his hands on her and she's so she's like, I don't mind fear. I like fear. Fear warns me of danger. Fear lets me know when I need to start paying attention. I've learned to trust fear. And yeah, then, then so she kind of vanquishes him and it fades to black as he's like, I'm really scared. And she says, I know. <laughs> right. It's so awesome. Sorry, that part's not necessarily relevant. It's just really good Kate Mulgrew moment. <laughs> but yeah, I like that. I like that concept of yeah, it's a true. Fear the, is the goal that can rule you, or fear is something that is necessary. You yeah. do need it. If you lived without fear all the time, you'd walk off a cliff. Right. But where is Deanna Troy? I mean, we need more ship counselors here. This is why mental health is so important. And it Gene is. Roddenberry <laughs> knew that and he put her on the bridge. Yes. I mean, we really need, we do need more of, I mean, obviously there's so much more need for mental health discussions in society, but uh, it looks like these characters are using their, their family, their newfound family each other to discuss all of these issues intensely they don't need the ship counselor but well, what there's, boy, a, there's a lot going who's on regular since tng that just occurs to me she's the only one because ds9 well, because didn't have one kind of useless necessarily well, not a formalized one I not guess. a formalized one yeah and then voyager didn't have one which wouldn't have made i don't know if that would have made a ton of sense for that type of ship but oh that's i sorry i just yeah. well what i really liked was that when when michael showed up in the transporter room before Saru was about to beam down, she says, I know what you're going to do. I mean, that, again, is a, is, a, is a behavior moment that she knows him well enough to know what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, really kind of reaffirms their bond, that it's not like he had to tell her she knew. I've been really impressed mm. with Sinequa Martin-Green and Doug Jones um, and their ability to make compelling what I still remain as is, is kind of an unearned relationship because I didn't see, I have never, we've never seen them build a friendship from the beginning. Like they're, she's like, I'm your family, we're this close, and they have this sort of falling out over George U, so you see this sort of redemption arc of that in season one, but I kind of... There's a lot of friction at first between them. Yeah. And she was so, not welcome there I, Yeah, so this, with him. like, showing us all these scenes of where she's like, he's her family and stuff like that, I just am not quite, I don't, yeah. I, I haven't seen enough of their formative years, but I will say Doug Jones and Sinequa are completely, completely investing me in it because they're so good. It Fantastic just, actors. Really she she did a, a, a really yeah. great role, too, when uh, uh, 
job too when uh, Giorgio came back. I thought like the scene, like the scene of her holding up the phaser and you know not wanting to drop the phaser. Yeah. She had some incredible moments, and and that's yeah. another relationship where I feel like it was not particularly well drawn. Uh, you know what exactly what her relationship with yeah. Mirror Giorgio was. She almost and seems they, I think that even um, you know Michelle Yeoh, I, I, I'm hot and cold with, but I thought she was terrific. In that episode, and they really created a you know a this really was when convincing, the, the, uh, the the episode where um she you know you think Spock's on the shuttle and Giorgio winds up coming out of the shuttle and she's on the ship oh, for a right. while yeah and um, Michael wants to shoot her yeah. before yeah, exactly. last I think. so I, I like you know I I am really impressed with how they've been dealing with their ideas uh, particularly this season and even dealing with ideas from last season and they're not it's not just we're going to reboot the show and forget everything you know we did in the first season. They're, they've been coming up with new ideas. I think it's incredible to take this character of, of Sarah and say, "Here's our whole concept for this character. Now we're going to turn that completely upside down." And this is a character who maybe has too much courage. Uh, yeah, and, it really freshened up what could have been just a really ridiculous gimmick with the threat ganglia, yeah. which were cute. And like, I, I was interested in that portion of his personality, but I don't know that there's so how far you can go with that and still be a military show. Uh, uh, another <laughs> right. thing, I mean, he just fell off. So can you get them amputated? I don't know. I mean, it's, a, maybe. it's a good question. I mean, another thing that they are dealing with is uh, the resurrection of Culber, which is just briefly dealt with uh, in this uh, episode. But mm. I really like that this, you know, idea that they're going to deal with it's not. You know, just idyllic that he was brought back. back. Yeah, yeah. That they have to, and and you know, my problem with Culber is it's it's kind of the same as my my issue was always with uh, uh, Doctor Crusher that she she's defined entirely as just a doctor, a mom, and maybe she's got some romantic relationship with with Picard, maybe. Uh, that's Ish. about all you get, except he's not a father. <laughs> but you know, Culver is defined entirely by the fact that he's uh, in a relationship with uh, Stamets, uh, and he's a doctor. I really um, and he, we, they're both terrific actors, and I you, I think you can get a lot more out of that. Um, and I'm fascinated with what they're going to do with this, this kind of resurrection plot. Yeah, giving really him a second chance at life is going to give a lot of room to him as an actor. That's I we I did, recorded Disco Truck last night, and that was something that I'd had some white wine, so I might have been like super intense about it more <laughs> so. But um, I really, really want Culver to get his own episode. I think that would like fit, take care of all these issues of having him just sort of be somebody's relationship or somebody's job and I was kind of and I say that because the last couple of episodes everything's been so dense that Culver coming back to life should have been its own episode I it was really sandwiched in with a bunch of other stuff and I felt like yeah, this one but just didn't get enough time to ruminate and then same here he's back and I'm I'm really curious to see you know hey you were dead for a while What's that like? Well, Let's not talk about it. I mean, he was in this, tiny part of this episode. He too. was in this dangerous situation in which he felt like he was constantly under attack by these creatures. He's actually, I mean, he hasn't just been sleeping. I mean, he's been in he's, a traumatic situation. Well, he's yeah. actually been recreated from his own DNA. So yeah. it's not the same person. It's a person with feelings, but not the same like physical experience. Yeah, he's not actually Culber. He's a recreated Culber. So he seems that to have the same memories. Um, yes, the same memories, but not 
the same experience. I could see like I could see why you would have an identity disconnect just knowing that it's not this is not the body you started with. And there are differences. Like he doesn't have the scar. Yeah, he doesn't. Like, I think yeah, that, that really whole conversation weird. was that he was not remembering this uh, experience, like that Stamets was recounting. The, or the, he did. That's when he. But yeah, that, I mean, they 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 obviously have to deal with with what he is and and how he's going to go forward. And I, I'm interested to see. In that. fact, what really lit him back to uh, to to being present um, out of his fear. Uh, in in the mycelial network is when Stamets was saying you were walking ahead of me and you knew you held yeah. out your hand because I knew you knew I would grab it mm-hmm. and that convinced him wow this is not a dream this is not a mirage this is actually happening um, I'm so, so glad they're back together I yeah. know well as we will discuss in another episode of Disco Nights this is really the only LGBTQ relationship that Star Trek has ever really delved into and it's time and it's worth it simply because it's a relationship but also you know it's a very compelling relationship but also um, representation matters so Mm -hmm. that's going to be exciting to talk about Um, thank you so much for joining us this week thank you you. got to close but Alexandra Jeff and Lisa it's been great having you with us yeah and it's been great having you with us as always disco audience thanks for joining disco nights And if you're a fan of this podcast, please check out Electric Surge's other podcasts like the 430 Movie every Friday, which is a group of writers and producers curating fantasy theme weeks of classic movies. And also, you wouldn't want to miss Inglorious Trexperts, the only podcast for Star Trek fans with with a life. Okay. (laughs) That's what I thought it said. Mark Altman. Um. Yeah, it's the only podcast for Star Trek fans with a life, if you want to go there, Mark, Um, (laughs) besides ours. Available every Saturday, wherever you listen to podcasts. And Best Movies Never Made is also from this network on Monday nights. Also, look for Disco Nights, more, more, more bonus episodes every uh, every week where our guests review the previous night's episode, uh, previous week's episode, along with our Discovery Science Minute. Uh, by J.D. Voyek, a wonderful scientist who's Ooh. been chiming in. Yes, um, really important to talk more about the science of Star Trek um, on an ongoing basis. J.D. Voyek here, your friendly neighborhood science communicator. And it's time for your weekly moment in disco science. I want to focus today on Dr. Hugh Culber, who returned to the show last week, first as some sort of mycelial reconstitution of his former self, then a quote-unquote pristine version made up of matter from our neck of the woods. Now, I'm going to brush past the fact that the Jossep were able to build Kolber's body simply from what May described as a surge of unknown energy, which Stamets somehow brought with him into the network. I think it's supposed to be connected to two real laws of physics. Conservation of mass, or energy, that on a chemical level, matter and energy can neither be created nor destroyed, and the energy-mass equivalence, think E equals mc squared which informs us that you can use energy to create new matter, and vice versa. But Kolber's body didn't travel with Stamets, just some type of energy that managed to contain a record of enough of his state of being that the Jossip could reconstitute him. And then May's cocoon was able to translate his body using real matter so he can return to Stamets. So, in this episode, Dr. Pollard exposits that Kolber's body was entirely reconstituted from his DNA, and is brand new down to the last molecule. But that begs the question, is it actually possible to rebuild a human just from a sample of DNA? 
Dr. Kolber no longer has his shoulder scar, but should he be missing anything else? The answer is yes. We can all go home now. Moment of science over. Just kidding. There are many parts of you that don't have your DNA in it. The mineralized parts of bone, for one instance. But you might be surprised that this also includes all of your red blood cells. You know, the stuff in your blood that carries around the oxygen that you need to stay alive. Red blood cells are grown from special stem cells in your bone marrow. They start with DNA, but lose it when they mature, allowing them to pack as much oxygen-transporting hemoglobin into the smallest space possible to get to all of your tissues. Those stem cells can also turn into white blood cells, which keep their DNA, and are responsible for creating antibodies to identify diseases. Being proteins, your antibodies don't have DNA either, so the new body of Dr. Kolber would have built up absolutely no immunity to any diseases. Hopefully modern medicine would be able to replace those as soon as possible, at least after giving him a very much needed blood transfusion. An even weirder piece of you that doesn't have your DNA are the energy-producing mitochondria in most of your cells. They don't have no DNA. They have their own, much smaller DNA strand completely distinct from what hangs out in your cells' as nuclei. In fact, your mitochondrial DNA is identical to the mitochondrial DNA in your mother, and her mother, and her mother, and so on and so forth. And finally, at least for the purposes of this episode, there is the colony of microorganisms that lives inside of you, your microbiome. For every one of your you cells, there are just as many, if not more, cells belonging to thousands of other types of life forms. And yes, each species has its own DNA. While plenty of things can go wrong if the populations of these critters get too high, they are necessary to your health, especially in your digestive tract. They help break stuff down that your body otherwise couldn't or couldn't do as efficiently, and are also providing some necessary compounds like vitamins B and K. Some species even supplement your immune system and help fight off bad microorganisms. And recent research hints that some bacteria living on your skin can help protect against cancer by secreting a chemical that inhibits tuber growth. Or at least it does in mice. Lacking a microbiome for an hour or so won't kill you. Unlike, you know, not having red blood cells. And just like transfusions and vaccinations, we have ways right now of helping people replace a microbiome. It's called a fecal transplant. You heard that right. Someone with a healthy microbiome donates their poop to you. I wonder who donated their poop to Dr. Kolber. And now maybe you are too. Until next time. And if you enjoyed the podcast today, please refer us, uh, rate us five stars, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can follow us at Disco Nights Pod on Twitter or at Inglorious Trexperts on Instagram. Also, a very special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at Electric Surge Studios. You can watch new and previous episodes of Star Trek Discovery on CBS All Access. Best deal in town, right, everybody? Yeah. Yep. All right. So until next Sunday, this is Chase Masterson and the gang saying, Disco lives! This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.